You're listening to the very first season ever of the Lifestyle Company Podcast, hosted by Kristen Forgion, designer, public speaker, and creator of Organic Desert Living. If you like talking design, business, and life without the filter, you came to the right place. In just six years, Kristen grew a one-woman side hustle into a multi-million dollar creative business. And it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows. Armed with grit and hard work, Kristen comes to you unapologetically with some tough love. They say wine is cheaper than therapy, and lucky for you, we've got that last part covered. So pour up and let's get to it. So did you guys like episode seven, building your team? It was a really good one on the recording side. Like it just flowed out. I didn't really have to take many notes and try to keep myself on track. It just kind of came out and that was refreshing and awesome. And now we're eight episodes in with this one and it's all kind of just like flowing and it's really fun. And I feel like, I feel like I'm getting better. So I hope you guys are enjoying the episodes. I'm hearing some feedback on Instagram that some people are like binge listening, which for whatever reason is the hugest compliment to me. And I'm taking it that way because I feel like if there's a Netflix show or any show that is worthy of binge watching, that means it's like really, really good. So I'm totally honored that there are some of you out there that are binge listening to the episodes. So you don't have to listen in order, even though every with every new episode, I tend to refer back to old episodes. So Maybe you want to listen in order. Maybe you want to listen by topic. Um, but any way you cut it, listen. And and there are a lot of you guys listening. We have gotten almost six thousand downloads. Is that is that good? I I think that's good. I mean, hell, I don't know. I don't have a point of reference. So. For me, I think that's freaking amazing. Um, but if anyone does out there have a point of reference, like let me know. I'm sure I could Google it, but I feel like the Googs is like really, really big. And so it might be like, oh, unless you have 100,000 downloads, like don't even look over here, um, which is insane. But I feel like like we're grassroots. Like we don't pay for, you know, to serve posts or marketing or anything like that for the podcast. We just put it out there and hope you guys pick it up. So um, I'm totally thrilled and I feel like although there's only four episodes left, including this one, there is still so much to say and I almost like feel myself getting emotional about it and like, am I going to cry when I'm recording episode 12, like here in the booth by myself? Am I going to cry? I don't know. It's a very weird feeling. Um, so far, the most popular episodes have been episode five, which was the one with um, Blanche and Rach, and then episode four, which was attracting the right clients and knowing your worth, and episode six, unexpected with turning your passion into a business, are neck and neck. Those two both have over a thousand downloads, and they are like within a couple, you know, tens of each other. So I just think it's so interesting to see which episodes you guys connect with and and which ones you love the most. So episode five really does shock me because I shit you not, we felt like we were just like so all over the place with the sound and we were talking over each other and it was kind of wild and all of that. But apparently you guys liked it. So I can't believe you've listened 6,000 times. Like, holy fuck. That's nuts. Um, I can't thank you guys enough. I really never, ever dreamed that even 10 of you would listen to this with any regularity or that I'd be able to connect like we all have. So truly, thank you. It is really such a gift that you're giving me and allowing me to share my experience with you and to help you in whatever way that works for you in your journey, personally and business, both, whatever. So 
enough of the mushy stuff, but I really just feel so honored to be able to do this with you. Where am I? You know where I'm at. Same place. And actually, in the the end of episode seven, I talked about our sabbatical in Europe. So we're going to Europe for seven weeks, as of right now at least, next summer, summer 2020. And I was thinking, like, if we're doing the podcast, either that'll be season two or maybe even season three if we pick up season two, like, this fall. And maybe, 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 maybe a season three, will I be recording in Europe? Like, how freaking cool will that be? Um, God, I don't know how I'm going to find a podcast recording studio in Europe. I mean, of course they exist. I'm sure, again, the Google will help me. But, um, yeah, so I thought that was really interesting to think about it. I just hadn't even thought about the thing that I might have to have that in a European city somewhere. What I'm wearing, I am wearing vintage Bill Blass mom denim shorts that I found at Goodwill like a couple years ago that I'm obsessed with. And they are actually so comfortable. And I love that because um, the shorts that I get, like the high-waisted wedgies or ribcage shorts that I get from Levi's, like, oh, my God, by the end of the day, you 100%. And sometimes even by lunch, you have to undo the top button and sometimes even the second. So these are really comfortable, which I really like. And I'm wearing it with my absolute favorite summer top from the shop. It's called Pleek, P-L-I-Q-U-E, Pleek Spaghetti Strap Button-Down Tank Top. It's $26.00 like so affordable and it's got buttons in the front and it just fits really well and it's a really good material so it's still breathable and it's just a little step up from like a tank top but it goes really well with everything and is super comfortable so I totally love it. What am I eating? I'll tell you I'm eating too many carbs. (laughs) I've been like a carb machine lately which also comes with all of the guilt that's associated with eating carbs and I'm going into a vacation week so like scary, super scary, but I've been eating a lot of carbs lately. I don't know. I'm a carb person, you guys. How how many of you out there eat keto? We try to do this, like, I feel like keto is all the thing now, and we try to do this keto, clean, pseudo meats, like, busy working family, so, you know, we eat keto once a week, pretty much, um, but I need carbs. Like, I have to have carbs. I, I, I have to have carbs at lunch for sure. Like, not a pasta lunch, but I have to have carbs at lunch. If I don't have carbs at lunch, I am, like, crashing by 2, 2.30. And I love coffee, and I usually front load my coffee. So by the time I'm actually eating lunch, I am, like, devoid of all nutrients. So, um, yeah, I got to have carbs. Uh, whatever. I beat myself up over it because I think that's, like, what you're supposed to do. But um, me and carbs are besties. What I'm reading. Yes, for Mother's Day, I got two books. My hubby knows me so well. Um, Books are expensive and I don't buy them a lot, um, but I love to give them as gifts. I think books are like such an amazing gift, especially if you like open the front and, you know, write a a message in the front. And I love actually getting them from like thrift, excuse me, thrift stores and secondhand stores because I love when I open up the cover and I see a message in there. Um, It is also kind of weird sometimes when it's like, happy anniversary, babe. And someone, you know, took it to a thrift store. So you're like, are they are they still married? Is babe still babe? I don't know. But I got two books. I got Pacific Natural by Jenny Kane. And you guys, I'm obsessed with Jenny Kane. I think she's a freaking badass goddess woman. It's She's so natural and effortless and, like, amazing and definitely one of the, design, the designers that I look up to. And then the book called Principles by Ray Dalio. And Ray Dalio is this absolutely brilliant entrepreneur and just – amazing minded person and he just released this book called principles 
I am so excited to read it. Um, I read Pacific Natural, which is kind of like a coffee table meets cookbook, legit in 20 minutes, like seconds after I got it. I opened that bad boy up and just started thumbing through and started reading some of the comment, the commentary. Um, and the imagery is so beautiful, gorgeous. Like it's absolutely stunning. And then I'm going to work principles in. It's a I got the hardcover, so it's kind of like a heavy book. Um, but I think I'm going to start principles on the beach next week with my guy, Ray. Well, Ray, the guy who wrote it. And then my guy, Vince, my actual guy. We're going to Cabo for our anniversary. Just us. Um, I can't wait. I'm really, really super excited. Recent facepalm. I shudder to even say this <laughs> because I feel like right after I do shit go south, uh, but I haven't massively messed anything up this week. So far, so good. I have all of my earthly possessions. Um, I haven't left anybody anywhere. I haven't, or keys, or my podcast recording equipment, or anything like that. So far, so good. On the radar, usually I use this opportunity to tell you something like an update about our company, or something really cool about a project. But right now, I'm going to use this opportunity to tell you how freaking pumped I am that Beverly Hills 90210 with the original cast is coming back to TV. Like, I can't. I am so flipping happy about this. I, I, I can't. I'm having a viewing party for sure. Like, Bachelor Nation, 90210 Nation. It's going to happen. And if I have to lead the crusade, I will. I am so happy and so excited. I was and still am the biggest Beverly Hills 90210 fan on the planet. I had the box set. I probably have seen every episode 10 times. I can kick anybody's ass on 90210 trivia. Bring it right now. I can't wait. So if you are a fellow Beverly Hills 90210 fan, you and I, we can talk the new season. There are a lot like big, big shoes to fill for these writers and this new this new resurgence of Beverly Hills 90210. So I just hope it's as good as as I'm going to expect it to be because at one time it was like a real, real amazing show. Really, really amazing show. So I'm super stoked. Absolute death in the moment. I know I've been going back and forth between Montecito and 75th. And of course those projects are still like so, 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 so high up on the list. But we're going to insert a new project that kind of came in as a dark horse. And actually, it really didn't come in as a dark horse because the clients are awesome and the project is awesome, but it's just been going on forever. So all of a sudden, it, things are kind of finally starting to happen and we're finally starting to see the finishes that we designed a year ago come to life. So because of that, 102nd Way project, oh, we're about to finish the interiors on it and present that to the client. And it is so good. Like the interiors are so good. And we're working with a little bit of a budget on this one. And while the big budget projects are amazing, of course, and like usually those are the ones that you get published with and the ones that everybody like dies for, um, this one feels a little bit more attainable, you know, to like regular people like you and me, definitely, definitely me, maybe not you, I don't know. But I think y'all are going to absolutely love it because we have not left a single detail or design moment like untouched and nothing is being compromised even though we're working on a little bit of a budget so we'll of course share so much of that for you and with you on social and answer all your questions about it and try to share what sources we can like we always do but that one has has definitely come kind of 
around and we didn't even realize it and is absolute death. Like there are so many really cool design choices in there that I'm so happy that the client was brave enough to do with us. Okay, so moving right along into all the bad shit in business. I mean, where to even begin? I've mentioned before that I've really tried to keep the podcast as positive as I could, right? And I feel so honored to be able to use this platform with you and be receiving good and positive feedback from it that I haven't really wanted to talk about the the bad the bad shit, the bad shit in business. But it is alive and very much a thing. And in six years, there is a lot of bad shit that happens just by default. And the craziest thing is even some of the baddest shit between clients and employees, mostly clients, (laughs) surprises you when in the end... It kind of isn't that bad and it was like meant to happen. There's something calming in all of that experience that leads to confidence and that makes your like uh, your fuck with rating like through the roof. And by the way, there's going to be like a lot of cussing in this episode. I can just feel it because I'm super passionate about this and these were some trying times that we had to overcome and it took a lot of emotional I don't know, wherewithal including emotional bagage. Oh, and bagage, that's another kind of word that we throw around the firm all the time. Bagage is like baggage. It's 100% baggage. But it's, I don't know, it's kind of positive and negative. It's like, it's a more complex version of baggage. It's like not drama. It's not like that kind of baggage, but actually it can be that kind of baggage. It's just bagage. It's like, it's just bagage. It's it's the more elevated version of baggage that I made up that um, I make up a lot of words that we use all the time that we're like, oh my God, all the bagage. Oh, and we also say damage instead of damage. So when like a really nice piece is, is, is damaged, we're like, oh my God, the damage, like look at the damage. It's just like a, I don't know, maybe it's a French accent. Maybe I was meant to be in Europe all along. I don't know. But um, it's it's got a lot of bagage emotionally. It's bad. And so back to the cussing. So I'm going to teach you about your fuck with rating. And your fuck with rating is my version of what happens when you have enough experience that you basically decide you're not going to get fucked with anymore. And it's why, like, you know, our parents are so awesome and badass and, like, unfuckwithable, right? Because they have decided and they have been through so much shit. And older people, too. um, And even young people. Like, I think that I'm young. I'm relatively young. I'm young, right? I'm 35. I've still got a lot of living left to do. But I'm 35. And in the last six years that I've been managing this company, I've I've experienced some shit. And that makes your fuck with rating high at least for me. And so it, it again, it, it builds confidence. I could just keep on going with that, but I won't. Um, so this is a highly anticipated episode. And with all of the comments and messages and feedback that I get, a ton of it is centered around all the bad shit in business, stuff people don't want to talk about and stuff that's, that's uncomfortable and controversial and things that people have totally opposing views of. And maybe you've been on the client side before and that sucked for you. And maybe you've been on the provider side before, the designer side, the creative side, the account manager side, you know, whatever. And and that sucks too. And there's, so there's just like a lot of sides and definitely at least three, like your side, their side and the truth and what actually happened. 
So um, I want to remind you what I'm sharing with you today is our real experience. It's how we actually handled shit, not what would make the, the best podcast. It's also important to note that every person handles situations differently. So while these are the real details of the situations for me that happened in my life and in this business, it's totally in my, my opinion, my own opinion and my experience and nothing more. And I'm hoping that you can learn from it. Um, but I'm not trying to preach to you that this is the only way. This is just the way it happened for me and what worked for me and us. And some of it didn't work too. Like some of it was not good at all. And um, we've talked about that a little bit in episode seven with building your your team and just employees and all that stuff. So today we're going to touch a little bit more on kind of three main things. Bad clients, bad employees, and bad people. So bad clients, kind of two main points to discuss within bad clients, how to avoid bad clients and how to deal with them when you totally miss the avoid part (laughs) because they'll trick you. Let me tell you, they will trick you and they'll make you feel bad. And I also like to think within the bad client realm, there's like the clients that are that are like bad, that are almost like bad people. Like they're just like bad. They they are take, take, take. They're unrealistic. They don't want to trust you. They actually never wanted what you offer. They are just trying to get what they want at all costs necessary. And then there's bad clients that like by default, like just can't help themselves and they end up, they're actually like really nice people. They just end up being like a really bad client and they might be a really great client to someone else that has a completely different personality than you do. But for whatever reason, for you and working with you and your business, like this is just a bad mix. This is like oil and water type of thing. Um, Matches and gasoline, you know what I'm saying. So how to avoid bad clients. For me, And for most people starting a business or if you are in a decision-making position within your company, for most people in the beginning, you're going to take bad clients. And instead of beating yourself up over it, like most entrepreneurs or or people that that are in charge of taking on clients do, you just kind of have to get okay with the fact that it's the right, it's the right of passage. It will happen because it almost has to. It, it kind of has to happen for you to be able to gain that experience and that perspective and that knowledge to know what to look for. Unless you're one of the really lucky ones that can listen to this podcast and, and listen to the other decision makers and circle you know, of influence people in your life and avoid those mistakes. For most normal people, that's not possible. Like you can tell me a thousand times not to touch the burner, but I'm totally going to touch the burner. And then I'm going to be like, oh my God, why didn't you tell me? And you're going to be like, I did tell you. Um, And that's just kind of like the way the cookie crumbles with human beings in general, especially self-gratifying, instant gratification, this kind of era that we are living in right now. So For me, the tactic that has worked the best in avoiding bad clients is some very basic principles. One, we have to have an organic connection. I talk about it all the time. We have a client creed on our website. We have to have an organic connection. We have to genuinely like kind of hit it off. It's like a first date, right? And and you only get one time to make a first impression. And sometimes that first impression isn't even when we're face to face. I can usually tell in someone's very first email exchange if I'm going to like that person. 
And yes, that is really assuming and, and could be stereotypical or typecasting in some way. But I can usually tell in the little part that we allow allow um, client inquiries to come through where they can free type, I can usually tell what kind of person they are. Do they talk in a way that I think is funny and, and res- yet respectful? Do they seem like they have realistic expectations? Can they, can they convey their thoughts clearly so I can understand what's happening? Because that's a huge one. Communication. Did they follow directions? Did they fill out the thing correctly? Like all of those little things help to contribute to the fact of trying to figure out if I if I, we're going to be a match, right? So is this, is there an organic connection? Can I feel the organic connection from that very first kind of exchange via email? Um, and then I can also tell from an aesthetic standpoint, are we an aesthetic match? Do I like what you like? And we've talked about this a lot on the podcast thus far. And I talk about it a lot, um, on Instagram and, and in stories. And I believe really strongly because I really feel like once I put these parameters kind of in place, knock on wood, some of the bad clients and the bad experiences kind of stopped happening. So do we have an organic connection? Do we aesthetically match? We talked about, is the client realistic? Is the client realistic? is what they're saying and what they're showing you. And in all parties, sometimes husband and wife are a team. And unless like wife is like, hey, I'm paying with this from my inheritance, from my whatever, or my divorce settlement or my out or whatever, unless it's like some really different situation, for the most part, there are two sides to that. There's husband and wife or wife and wife or husband and husband or whatever, whoever the decision makers are. They have to be aligned. And so if one is telling you one thing and one is telling you another thing or what they're telling you via email and then what happens when you show up to the consult, this has happened, you guys. We have had, oh yeah, we have this kind of budget with this kind of scope and this is what we wanna do and we're so excited on paper. And then we get to the consult and the husband is there or the wife is there or whatever. And it's like, he didn't even know we were coming. <laughs> I'm, I'm not exaggerating. And he doesn't wanna spend that kind of money on us at all and maybe on the renovation, but definitely not on us. Like he does not find the value. He is not drinking the Kool-Aid and that's his prerogative, but it certainly doesn't work for me and my business model and can definitely set you up to have a bad client experience. And that in that situation, that is kind of one of those default type of like, they're probably really nice people, but they're not communicating. And because of that, we're going to get put in the middle and I don't want anything to do with that. And I, I, I said that truly right there, right then. I was like, it seems like you two are not on the same page. And because of that, I think there's a lot of details that you need to work out before we're even talking about what color tile we're, or you know what type of tile material we're gonna put on the backsplash. This next criteria, if you will, is kind of a new one that I now feel is a, is a big one for us. Do we communicate the same way? Do we like to communicate the same way? We have found, based on the way that our days play out, email and text messages work really well for us, specifically for me, because I am usually with someone else or I'm jetting to someplace else or I'm multitasking in some way that I can't have a conversation on the phone. I also hate the phone. So that's like another thing that I want to work on and is my new year's resolution pretty much every single year that I'm going to get better at the phone. But I'm not a phone person. Like I don't like to talk on the phone. So it wouldn't make sense for me to have a client that exclusively wants to talk on the phone. And there are some clients like that. You send an email and they call you. You send a text message and they call you. And that can get annoying. I'm sorry, but for that, and actually I'm not sorry, I take that back. It can get annoying. If 
I am the way I am and you are the way you are. It's annoying for you too. How annoying is it that when, that I'm constantly sending you text messages when you just want to get on the phone? You know, it's the same type of situation. And because communication, in my opinion, is like 90% of the client management game, are you communicating with them in the way that they want to be communicated with? That's what you have to ask yourself. And you do, in a lot of instances, have the right to basically evaluate that in the beginning and use that as one of the sticking points in like, hey, every single time I've sent you an email, you've given me a call. We are not, and I don't, I'm not recommending that you should say this to them, but my point is like, we can't seem to connect because you're always giving me a call and I'm always sending you text messages or emails. And like at some point, yes, we're going to have to hop on the phone and I'm good with that. But every single time I give you a call or I'm sorry, every single time I send you a text or an email, you can't give me a call. And it does, it gets really frustrating. And some people are not good communicating their thoughts via email. And if that's the case, and you think you can deal with it or the project is worth that, like if every other thing checks out, they're amazing, you have an organic connection, you love them, they're an aesthetic match, they're realistic, they have a good budget, timing works out, the stars are aligning, like everything is good and you really want this project, I don't know that I would let that one thing stand in my way, but it's something that I would talk about early and I would put some seriousness behind it in saying, hey, I have had experience where communication styles are not the same. Because of that, can we come to some sort of agreement to where we will hop on the phone one day a week on Mondays at 9 a.m. and we'll we'll talk everything through from the previous week and talk about the week coming and how that fits into the scope of the project or, or whatever's happening. And outside of that, we'll send texts and emails and then we'll reconvene every week. That, that works for us in a lot of ways, um, but I think it's really important. And if you don't set that expectation ahead of time, it will be frustrating and like maddening for all parties when you guys can't get on the same page from a communication standpoint. And then the last one I think in specifically avoiding those bad client situations is are your conflict resolution expectations the same? For me, I am very vocal in the beginning when we are at consultations with people in saying, hey, we're going to do whatever we need to do to make things right. Ethically, I'm not willing to compromise my ethics or my my moral character by just not making it right. So it's pretty easy for me to manage that. However, there are going to be instances where you get wrangled in by default because some asshole contractor did something or whatever, and you are now having to pay the price for that. Is the client's expectation of how you handle that the same? And it's a pretty easy conversation that just talks about, hey, let's talk about this situation. If this happened, this is what I would plan to do. Do you feel like that would meet your expectation? And it's usually a very quick, easy conversation that's like, oh yeah, for sure, that'll never happen, no problem. But sometimes it happens and then you have had that conversation and any normal, reasonable, logical person, you can go back and say, yeah, remember when we talked about that and we said that this would kind of be our plan of attack? This is how I'm planning on dealing with that. Are you good with that? Or how can I make this easier for you? Or, you know, any iteration of kind of that sort of problem solving technique is important to establish in the beginning. And then there's just clients that are just bad. And those people I think when you're holding everyone to this sort of criteria will stick out like a sore thumb. You will either not have an organic connection, you will not have an aesthetic match, the client will not be realistic, they will not communicate at all, or they will over communicate, or they likely are not communicating in the way you want to. Um, and there is conflict early, and there's drama early, or there's something that just like seems off early. And the best advice that I can give you in that situation is listen to your gut. 
no matter how much money that project is worth because I can give you six years of experience right here, right now in telling you there has never been, are you ready for this, you guys? There has never been a single client that I thought had some red flags in the beginning that I choose to ignore. There has never been a single client that has surprised me. Never, not one. There have been clients before that I've said, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I think they're cool. I think we're cool. We we jive. We, okay, aesthetically, we're, we're close. Um, I think I can push them and they can push me and we'll meet somewhere really pretty in the middle. We've had clients that have worked out in that way that in the end, you're like, oh my God, this is like the best client ever. I love them. I'm so glad I took this business. Like, it's wonderful. So those weren't exactly like red flags. The clients where there are red flags, we are not jiving. They're they're rude, right? Like they, they say things that I think are rude. They treat my staff disrespectfully. They treat me disrespectfully. They want me to do Tuscan. I don't do Tuscan. They're telling me that they'll change their aesthetic for me. Like those are not normal statements. Um, they're rude. I don't know. All those things. They're rude via email. They're texting me at 10 o'clock at night on a Sunday. Like there's just like weird weirdness, like weird shit. Those are red flags. Those clients where I have seen those red flags, not one in six years. And I can probably tell you we've had over, I'd say 500 clients. Not one of them has surprised me. How freaking crazy is that? Like, not like truly nuts when you think about it that way. So the best way to avoid a bad client interaction or setting yourself up for a bad client is to hold everybody to that criteria. And you should make your own set of criteria. What matters the most to you? For me and for us and our team and our firm, that's how the cookies crumbled. And then how to avoid just like bad clients, like people that are just like bad, um, is truly to listen to your gut. If there are those red flags, no matter how much money, honestly, I would rather see you put stuff on a credit card than have or take a project with a bad client because I'm telling you, you will lose money. You will lose money. You will lose brain cells. You will lose time that you will never get back. You will be frustrated. You won't get to photograph the project anyway. Like there's just so many reasons why you shouldn't do that. The stress that will, that and the anxiety that will follow with these people, um, it's just not good. And if you're listening out there and you maybe could work on some of your um, communication skills, ease of contact, friendliness, openness, um, honesty, realism, whatever, as a client and you're a client for someone, do that because it's really hard to work with bad clients. It's just, it's not, it's not fun. Okay, so we'll touch on bad clients a little bit later as we talk just some freaking horror stories because I've been promising you guys that I would. (laughs) Um, Let's talk about bad employees. And, oh, we have all had them. And it will, chances are, you're you're always going to have bad employees. And I got some really good advice at one point from a client that I actually had to break up with. They they actually, I think, wanted to break up with us. If I remember correctly, they wanted to break up with us because we had a bad employee who was not managing the project correctly. I wasn't giving it enough attention. And they decided that they just had waited long enough and they had. It was way, it was just bad, B-A-D bad. 
Um, and they they need they wanted their money back. Of course, I gave it to them, and they wanted to start over. And of course, I couldn't give them back the time. And the way I handled that was just saying that I am, I am so sorry I didn't spend enough time managing that employee and managing the work that they were doing and therefore managing your project. Of course, I will give you back all of your money. Here you go. And I hopped on the phone with the husband of my main contact, the client, and I just said, you know, I know you manage people. How, do you have any feedback for me? Knowing what you knowing what you know, of course, and from your perspective in this situation that we're all in together, what's what's your feedback? Like, how how can I avoid this in the future? And he was awesome. And he was just basically like, listen, don't beat yourself up over it too much. No matter how great of a boss you are, no matter how much time you have, no matter how much you do, sometimes people are just going to go rogue. And that's just human beings by nature. And there are a lot of times that there are other factors that are involved in in this person's life that you just have no idea about. And if you think about that, that statement is really true. Like you really don't know anything about anyone's life until you've walked in their shoes. And it it's so true. And specifically in this situation, I just thought it was so kind that he was taking the time to give me some constructive criticism that I asked for instead of just being a dick, right? Or just, you know, like give me my money back and I'll never talk to you again. And, and I, I truly respect and value those clients so much. And they still come to the shop and they still follow me on Instagram and like are normal and conversational. And they were like so normal and understanding that I think that's probably even more normal and understanding than I would be. But it was, it was kind of an aha moment for me that I, I remember thinking like, okay, I want to focus on making sure that this doesn't happen again because one, it's not profitable at all for my company. Number two, I hate having a client out there that we couldn't give a great experience to because obviously they're not going to refer us. And three, it it's just really shitty. You know, like I don't I don't want to feel this way. I don't want this to happen again. But I I so appreciate the conviction and knowing that he didn't hate me, you know, and and that he was willing to give me some advice. And he was like a 15-year people manager basically saying like, "Hey, I feel like I'm a good manager, but don't worry, sometimes things go rogue." And he actually said like, "I just had this conversation with an employee that I had to fire last week and it sucked and it was awful and I I'm, I'm distraught about it, but but it happened." So With employees, I also think that there are some criteria that you should hold your employees to. And it's kind of the same as it is with clients. And that that criteria is, do we have an organic connection? Um, Are your expectations realistic? Do we feel like we have an aesthetic match? You know, all of those things are really still very valid with your employees as they are with your with your clients. Do we communicate the same way? It is so true. If I like to communicate to my employees via text message and email and you have an employee who like can't return a text message to save their lives, which some people just do and are that way, they're not text people, that's going to be a problem because you're going to have one person that can't keep up with everyone else and they're always going to be behind and they're they're not going to feel or, or you're not going to feel like they have a sense of camaraderie or team morale or any of those things. Are your conflict resolution expectations the same? Like if you actually think about it, the the criteria and the expectations that you hold your clients to are 100% what you should be holding yourself and your employees to. And if that can be a vocal thing that you guys talk about a lot, as I've mentioned, we don't have a mission statement because that kind of like is our mission statement. 
and and it works and everyone knows that that's what we expect and because of that it's just like effortless and organic and and easy and we don't have to really try super hard to manipulate things to to kind of reinvent things so try to make sure that when you're making hires, you aren't compromising on any of those things. I mentioned it in episode seven, do not ever hire anyone out of convenience. We are down to our last two candidates for this in this um, design associate position that we're hiring for. And while I definitely think both candidates could be awesome, I don't know enough yet about either of them to make a decision and I hopefully will soon. But if I don't feel like one of them is an absolute standout, like for sure this is our person, I'm not going to hire anyone. And yes, that would suck to have spent this much of our company time dedicated toward finding the right new design associate for us. But at the same time, down the line, the damage that that could do by having someone that isn't a good match for our team is like exponential. Like there is no currency or really any value for that type of kind of like mistake, if you call it, if you can call it that. And even timing, a lot of it has to do with timing. The person that I'm hiring now may not have been the person that I, I would have hired if I would have had this, this position available six months ago, because I, even six minutes ago, like, you know, everything has to do with timing and everything changes in that way. So don't hire somebody out of convenience. If you end up with a bad employee, which I have mentioned I have had, and obviously I like, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. I like to say like, oh my God, of course I should have seen that coming. Like, Barb, you're an idiot. Why did you do that? Why did you let that happen? Life just isn't like that. And when you care deeply about people and and when you do take the time to hold people to this criteria and you feel like it's a good match and sometimes they trick you, like they interview really, really well. And then two months in, you're like, what the hell? Who is this person? Like, this is not the person that I interviewed. Um, or they look really good on paper. And then when they're in front of the team or in front of you or in front of clients, like they can't get it together. All of those things exist. In that case, there there is that, moment where you're like, oh my God, is this coachable? Or like, do I need to let this person go? And I think in in that situation, I always default to the coachability of a person. Like I'm going to try. I'm at least going to try so that I know that I gave 150%. I'll give you an example. The last person that we really had a, a huge issue with, that, that, was a long time coming. And I made that person several, several offers to allow them to exit our company gracefully. And I kept like, I'll give you an example of an offer for real, since we're laying it all on the line here. I met with that person and said, hey, I care about you. I want you to be happy. I feel like based on just everything that's happening in your life right now, like this is not a good place for you. Things are not good right now. I care about you. I want to be friends after this. I will give you a month's notice. I will give you a month paid and you can go out and interview and you can find the right fit for you and you don't have to lie to me about having a doctor's appointment and interviewing on company time and it doesn't have to get weird and secretive and you can say goodbye to our clients and you can gracefully say like hey I'm exiting this is where I'm going I'm making a move we can talk about it on social media we can show that it doesn't need to be catty And then when you get a new job that's better for you, that you think is better for you right here, right now, we can go out on Friday and celebrate with cocktails. That is how it happened, you guys. And she looked me in the face and was like, oh my God, I would never do that to you. I never want to leave. I love you. I love this company. I love our clients. I'm so happy. Like, yes, I've had a rough patch, but I'm going to get through it. I'm going to change. 
I am so thankful for you and grateful for the opportunity. I don't know what my life would be without the lifestyle company, blah, 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 freaking blah, over and over. Like this happened like I'd say a good three times of like come to Jesus conversations that I'm like, what the fuck? Like, why do you keep doing this? Let me coach you. Let me remove all of your responsibilities. Of like the 10 things that she did, I literally took six of them away. So all she had to do was focus on four things. Mind you, it was also during the holiday season. So because of that, I was really feeling guilty about like, oh my God, how am I going to fire this person like around Christmas? Like I'm not firing someone on December 20th. Like I am not having that bagage on me. I'm not dealing with that. So I, I let it keep going and I let, I kept trying to coach her and I kept trying to give, give more. And I can honestly say that I spent more dedicated time trying to coach her through what I thought was a totally coachable moment than I have all of our other com- employees ever combined like combined. It was a serious difference. And it's when other employees are noticing it and talking to you that it starts to become like, wow, okay. And now now I look like an idiot and that I have no patience for. Like here I am trying to give, give everything that I have literally inside of me. Like you're my child, like you're one of my own. And now you're making me look like an asshole and that I'm not cool with. So, and, and I can't get into much more detail, but it was just bad. It was just really bad. And then she ended up quitting via text message while I was on vacation with my husband. Never gave notice. It was just like the weirdest, most bizarre thing after a year of employment and like a lot of really personal time together. It was just really weird and, and terrible and bad. So, but I knew that I, for my own personal growth and for my own position as the business owner of this company, the creative director, and as a boss, as a growing boss, I had to feel like I gave 110%. And and that's kind of how I got through it. It was freaking awful and I have PTSD from it and it was not anything I ever want to live again and she cost my company. I'm going to go with, on a conservative estimate, twenty dollars to $30,000 over the course of her employment with us and us having to eat the cost of things, refund design fees, try to fix things, spend additional man hours changing and fixing and repairing and all of those things. I would say it was probably more like upwards of $30,000 that 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 employee cost our company. And obviously I would want that $30,000 back if I could. And and I would probably definitely look at some of the red flags and some of the indicators earlier. But I wasn't going to stop in that situation as her boss until I felt like I'd given 110%. And then ultimately it ended anyway. And it was kind of like, oh my God, that's awful. But now I have all that experience to be able to say like, okay, so these are the things that we're not going to do. And these are the things that we're not even going to, we're not even going to like look in that direction because I think that's where some of those bad habits and some of that power that I inadvertently gave her came from is by kind of ignoring some of that stuff. So there's employees that are coachable. When you coach them, it's still going to turn out bad. And then there are employees who are coachable that end up really surprising you and they they rise to the occasion and you're like, wow, I cannot believe how amazing you are and thank you for taking my criticism and thank you for handling it with such grace and thank you for making changes and thank you for keeping me in the loop. So the answer to that is like both. (laughs) Some of them are coachable and some of them are not. And I really feel like if you're in a small business and you're, you know, you've got an intimate number of employees around you, you're just going to have to give it a try and see how it turns out and be kind and be, be strategic and be clear like put expectations in writing, make sure that you are not letting the emotion take over. 
and give them grace, you know, all of those things, like be, be real, be realistic, be compassionate, and hopefully you'll turn out kind of on, on the other side of it. Um, I also have some employee stories that kind of go into bad people, if you will, at least. And I hate that like verbiage because I feel like how, like, I don't know, bad people, some people are just really bad, but are they like really bad people? Like, are they capable of like killing someone? I sure hope not. But that's like a bad person, you know? And then there's just people who make like really bad judgment calls that you're like, you're, you're, I'm sure you're fine. I'm sure you're decent. Um, I had one situation where someone was like particularly godly and they actually ended up getting fired because they lied to a client and then like came to work and kind of laughed about it and then went and started their own design firm full well knowing that they were violating their non-compete clause. And like, it just got ugly and weird, but like, yet they were so godly. So that was like really very contradicting and weird. And I was like, what do you mean you're lying? And so it was just like, there, there's just a really fine line, I think, between like really bad people and like people that just make really bad choices. And um, I've been one of those people, like of course, in my career that I've been working as a professional since I was 17, um, of course I've made bad judgment calls. And of course I've had a boss actually say to me like, oh, Kristen, or about me, I hate when good people make bad decisions. And that happens. And the difference in, is really how you handle it. And as a boss or as a person in your role who has authority over other people, you have to just try to keep it clear and concise and authentic so that everyone can learn from the situation and move on. Okay, so continuing on the bad people route. A ton of the questions that I get all the time are about contracts and non-payment and have you ever installed something and the clients hated it and you had to take it all back and how much did that cost you? And have you been sued? What did that look like? Um, you know, influencer fraud, that was of course awful. And we talked all about that in episode three. What was that like? How, how much did that cost you? And if you're doing like the math, like it's a lot of money that these things end up costing you. And these are all like real adult type of things. And I'm going to give you a really basic, like non-brilliant practice that you might want to do that I never did, that I wish I did, that now I have worked into my business. But if I would have known earlier, it would have helped things, I think. Start your own bad shit and business fund. I'm, I'm not even kidding. Just start trying to take even 5%, which sounds like a lot, but auto transfer 5% or your credit card rewards. That's another really good place. Take your credit card rewards or transfer 5% of your revenue into an account that is a bad shit in business account. It sounds crazy, but it's kind of also known as a rainy day fund, right? Which is why I don't think it's all that brilliant. But if you can kind of wrap your mind around having some sort of your own insurance policy, it's it really is, it's your own insurance policy, keeping your own insurance policy safe so that when something bad happens in business, because it will, you are already ahead of the game. I think it's a game changer. I really do. If I would have had that, I think making some of those calls in business would have been easier for me. I never got myself in financial hot water. Our company is completely self-funded. We've never taken out a loan or had um, a capital injection or investment or anything like that. But I do feel like when you're beginning, 
you hang on to every dollar, every dime, every penny, you hang on to everything. And so I think because of that, you tend to put up with things for maybe longer than you normally would. And so if you had your own insurance policy called Bad Shit Business Fund that you were able to fund yourself, you might look at a client and for whatever reason, just say, because of all of the the parameters in the situation, you know what? This is just not a match. Like, and, and again, for you to do this, I things would have to be pretty bad. But I have heard from other designers say like, I had to keep going because I couldn't give them their, their money back. Like their design fee was already spent and, and I deserve that money. And I already spent that time and blah, blah, blah. And it's mine. And I get that. And I think you're right. But there are situations sometimes where if you're the one pulling out and you're the one who's like, I don't want to do this anymore for whatever reason, I have found it is easier for a client to understand that. Remember, you're breaking up with them. Like you're leaving them like at prom. You're breaking up with them, even though it's their fault. They kissed your best friend. You saw it. You're breaking up with them at prom. It is just easier for the rejection for them to get their money back. And I'm like, listen, I don't ever want someone to be like, oh yeah, she kept my $3,000. Oh yeah, she kept my $10,000. Oh yeah, she kept my $20,000. Even though the time is gone, the time is spent, it's mine. They have, like, there are so many, you know, different, different situations and different like characteristics of like this nasty, ugly, gross, bad situation that yeah, the money probably is yours. And yeah, you probably should keep it. But because of everything else and how bad it is, if you had your own insurance policy to just be able to say, you know what, I'm going to draw from that insurance policy. Here's your money back. Let's go our separate ways. No hard feelings. I wish you nothing but the best. I personally think that it would be a lot easier for people to make decisions from a less emotional place and a more financial backed place and empower them to kind of take the bull by the horns and take some control so that you can keep yourself, your business, and your clients in control. So part of what the bad shit and business fund will help you with are the bad people in many ways, right? It'll help you when you have to give a design feedback or a, a fee for a photo shoot or how, whatever your creative business or regular business or not creative business or your accounting firm or whatever is, it will help you when you have to make those decisions. And it, it I feel like it will help you not hang on to every, every dollar or penny in an emotional way. You can just kind of like, it is what it is. Yes, I'm giving money back, but it's my own insurance policy that I'm self-funding, which I, I like the idea of. It'll help you with that. It'll help you with legal shit. And legal shit is no joke, you guys. We have been sued. It was awful. It was horrible. It lasted an entire year. Um, the case is now closed. We have we won our we won the case because it was absolute horse shit from the very beginning. Can I say that? I don't know. I might be getting a call from my lawyer after he listens to this. Um, but it was it was complete horseshit. And basically what happened is I got served the night before I was going on vacation with my girlfriends. Someone came to the door and said, is Kristen Forgione home? And I was like, yeah, and handed me paperwork. And it was like 150 pages of all this crazy stuff. Things like um, the, the nuts and bolts of it were we had a buyer buy one of our flips who basically tried to say that we were negligent in covering up foundational and wall cracks 
and that we knew about it and it was out of the norm and we should we didn't disclose it on the um, documentation that you need to in the state of Arizona. And because of that, he was suing us. And it, it was a safety issue, even though no one had ever gotten hurt. And it, that's basically where it started. And then there were other claims in there, like that we were impersonating a, a person, like that the lifestyle company was basically like a front and that we weren't a real business, which was completely comical. And they did that strategically so that they could try to go after our personal assets. And it was just insane. And it, it, re it really was insane. And that was the moment that I think Vince and I were both like, holy shit. Like, wow, this, this is insane. We're being wrongfully accused. What do you mean? Like, you know, like you just have so many questions. There's so many questions. And there's so, there's so many questions that you will never, I, I will never get answers to those questions. And what starts in the beginning is like, hell yeah, we'll go to trial. Yep, no problem. Like, see you in court, MF. Like, yep, no problem. I am innocent. There is absolutely no way you're going to get away with this. You are making shit up. This is bullshit. Like, every cuss word you can imagine times 10. And it keeps going and it keeps going. And every month you're writing a $5,000 check for legal fees. And, and for a lot of people, it's even more than that. Like, and it just keeps going and going and going. And a, it took a, a year, an entire year, you guys. And actually more than that, it was more than a year. It was a year, it was 12, 18, it was like 18 months of just back and forth, back and forth depositions and, and statements and every document you could possibly imagine and text messages and photos. And like, it, it was a real thing. Like we were really being sued. And I think in the beginning I was like, wait, what? Like, what do you mean? Like this, what, what do you mean? And then when you start getting into settlements and, and then you start really understanding more about what this person was going after, which was 100% money, they, they thought that we just had tons of money that we would just write a $50,000 check. And even if I had tons of money, I would not just write a $50,000 check because you think that we were negligent in foundational cracks, which is completely ridiculous because every house in Arizona, even though like brand, brand, brand new ones, which I'm in every day, have foundational cracks and settling. And like there were just, they had to interview our contractors. And I mean, it was like a real thing you guys under oath like under oath put my hand on a freaking bible and promise to tell the truth so that experience was incredibly like horrific and makes you so vulnerable and really is threatening and makes you think like wow I have been working my ass off for all of this for this long and you can't tell anyone and you really can't talk about it and um, I told my parents and my dad was, which is a very like my dad thing to say. He said, um, congratulations, you've made it. <laughs> and I was like, I'm, I'm sorry, what? Like, did you hear what I just told you? And he's like, yeah, yeah. Congratulations, you've made it. If someone is threatened by your success to the point where they think that they can financially profit from it and they are that person, to me, that's a bad person. Like, okay, you didn't call, you didn't kill anybody, but you are 100%, you 100% know that this is not what happened. This is not true. I can prove it. Here we go. That's pretty bad, in my opinion. That's just like really, really bad and shitty and nasty and litigious and, and just bad. And my dad was like, I mean, that means you've made it in business. Like, 
you've got something worth fighting for. And that is, you should take that as a compliment slash get your helmet on because you're, you know, you're going to be, be in this. And we were really scared and we didn't really make any other investments for that 18 months. We haven't owned any, any investment property since. I don't know if we will, frankly. I think it has really soured house flipping for us and, and that whole world just because it really makes you think like, is the reward worth the risk? You know, is the $20,000 that I might make house flipping? And I know it's very shocking to people when I say $20,000 because I think most people think like that house flippers are making $100,000 in every project. And it's totally not like that, especially designers who are house flippers because we spend all of the profit before it's even made. And you know, is that worth that? I I would rather have four clients to to make that, let's say. Like there's just there's just a lot that goes into it. So paying for legal fees is is bad shit in business. And along those same lines, I have we had a project that we really felt like was a great project. We literally poured our heart and soul into this project. We were so over hours. We were so, we had been so taken advantage of. And they basically decided when we were $25,000 over budget that they didn't want to pay the bill. And, and although a lot of being over budget had to do with their choices and things that they needed and, and required and, and were holding us to executing, and full well knew they just decided they didn't want to pay the bill. Oh, and they wanted to keep everything. So typically, if that happens to where the project is super over budget, and as designers, we're working toward a budget and we're paying attention to every single thing and we're keeping track of expenses, and it really doesn't happen very often. But in this particular project, it was a huge project that had a lot of moving parts. It took every ounce of every single person in our firm and all of our, our time on it. And we were working toward a really fast approaching deadline. And there was a lot riding on this for our clients and for us. We are designing to the the level that our portfolio requires. And in that case, if that happened to where when all of the costs came in, some of which we don't know, we don't know how much the moving team is going to be. We don't know how much the handyman team is going to be. And we budget based on our past experiences, but we totally under budgeted some of those costs, like by thousands. And and that was on us. But obviously, we can't tell the moving team to not unload the, the second half of the truck. You know, like there's just there's some wheels and some things that are already in motion that, that you, you can't stop. So we sent them a proposal of items that they could send back that would would take a huge chunk of that and not compromise the design. And they basically sent an email back that said, um, by simply taking back the items in the project, is it's not going to make the situation go away. We're not going to pay. So they they really did. They they didn't pay twelve thousand dollars of their of their bill. And actually, it was it was nineteen thousand because seven thousand of it was design fees that they also decided they just didn't want to pay. I'm not kidding. It was oh, and that was three days before Christmas. <laughs> um, and the the really unfortunate part about that, if not that it was a small business, a brand new small business doing that to another small business is these particular people were tweeting that they were pro-women and women empowerment and I am woman, hear me roar and we always want to protect you know each other and we're a team. And they sat across the table from us and we had a very real conversation. And, and my 
position was always, I care about this relationship more, more than I care about anything else, even more than money. So let's figure out how we can do this. And my offer was to discount the design fees in a way that made sense and also take back, as I mentioned, what wouldn't compromise the design. Like we weren't talking about taking furniture back or taking things off the walls or like these were small things that add up quickly. And after that situation, they were really tardy in in sending us their response. And then the response we got was from their legal team, clearly. And it was just like ugly and nasty. And there was absolutely no effort being made to try to make the situation better or come from a place that wasn't legal. Like, why would we want? First of all, I'm not going to quarter over $12,000. And second of all, like, really? It seems reasonable to me for you to send back what you didn't pay for. Like, that that's theft, is it not? But in talking to our legal team, you know, they're saying like, hey, possession is nine tenths of the law. It's at their establishment. I don't think they're going to let you in. I don't think you should break in. I, I just don't think this is one of those those situations that we should put any more money into. And that is also a very real thing in business. And one of those things that happens as you become more established that you're like, wow, this isn't right. This is not fucking right. Like, this is not right. And I have to be okay with the fact that although it is not right, and I know that and they know that, everyone knows it's not right, it's going to cost me way, way more than being right. Oh, my God. It was so cathartic, you guys. I cried. I cried. My team, Kylie and Rachel, and I cried. Um, like it was, we were just shocked. I was angry. Like it was just, it was just un, unbelievable. And so again, that like, and that for me, that's like a bad people move. You just don't do that to other people. Like you didn't pay for it. You damn well know that you shouldn't keep it. You didn't pay for it. That's like that. Like I said, that's theft. So anyway, I could just keep on going and going and going. Um, but so, so yeah, you get sued. People don't want to pay their bills. And I'm not sharing this with you to scare you guys. I'm sharing this with you because I never had a mentor in business really that that was anyone with any regularity. Of course, I look up to people, but anyone with any regularity who like could have a candid conversation with me about bad shit in business, just stuff that happened that was like, God, that sucked. Um, but here we are and it's okay. And this is how we handled it. And we chose to take the high road. And as you guys can see, like that is what I, if you remember nothing else from this podcast, I want you to remember that in all things, I, I try to be ethical and hold our team and our staff at the highest moral regard and value, with the highest moral regard and value. And the same was true in that situation. Like the email that I sent back to them was one line that was basically like, while this is completely unjust, I am done. I am done. So here we go. And, or really, here, here we are going. Like, like, I'm done. We're done. Fine. We're done. And it was pain. Oh, my God. It was so painful. Anyway, I think you can hear the conviction in my voice in like just how much it sucked. But so I'm telling you this because I want you to be aware and I want you to start taking tactics and putting foundational, um, you know, parameters, if you will, and setting setting yourself up foundationally to be able to protect yourself. I am lucky that my business was in the financial position and is in good enough financial health to be able to take that kind of write-off. Like, okay, $12,000 in an accounts receivable that we are not going to get. 
So it, it, you, need, you need to know that and you need to prepare yourself and you need to know that bad, bad shit happens and it's going to happen to you in some regard. I hope you never get sued. I hope nobody tries to screw you out of $12,000. Um, but if it happens, you need to know that other people have been through it and you need to be highly ethical and highly moral and put one foot in front of the other and keep your integrity and do it with grace and class and move the fuck on because there is no sense in losing the same amount of sleep as I did in that situation. Although I know that if it happens to you, it will, it will be the same thing because anyone who really cares about people and cares about their business and cares about doing what's right will be torn up about that situation. Um, so it's, we're already an hour into this episode and I could totally keep going, but I feel like I've given you a good, just kind of what flashback, if you will, into the bad shit in business for, for me and, and what we did about it and how, how it changed the way that we practice business. And I hope that you can use some of that for you. Okay. So we close every episode with three questions and I've got some really, really good ones to share with you today. This first question is from at Comey, I think K-O-M-I-E. In hindsight, what's the worst business decision you think you've ever made? Great question and perfect timing because I truly believe and I really thought long and hard about this and yes there's been like I've already mentioned like some questionable hires and some questionable clients and some questionable projects and some questionable contractor choices and some things like that but I truly feel like the worst decision I ever made was specifically around that last situation I was just talking about with the with the client and the project that didn't want to pay their $12,000 bill and they didn't want to send anything back and actually, it was a $19,000 bill. We already went into that. But the the decision that cost me the most was the moment that I decided to put the, the health and the wellness of their business in front of mine. And what I mean by that is there never should have been an opportunity that we were $25,000 over budget. Never. Like it never should have even been able to get to that point. But what I did was I kept putting their requests for $2,000 worth of window treatments and an extra, 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 extra large calendar and um, a this and a that and, and all of these things. I never should. Oh, and it has to be done by this date. So we have to pay for this. And I never should have kept allowing those requirements to keep piling up in a way that we weren't accounting for them fast enough so that we could stay ahead of it enough to say, we're over budget. We're going to be over budget. I am not going to continue to fund this project, which I did. Like my bills were paid. So while they didn't want to pay their bill, my bills were paid. So I was virtually fronting the cost of their project which in turn made my business incredibly vulnerable. Like, again, what if I didn't have the, the financial health to still be able to make payroll, which is a very real situation for a lot of small business owners. They, especially in the beginning, they are going paycheck to paycheck and, and their employees are going paycheck to paycheck because everyone's going paycheck to paycheck and like it's nowhere I ever want to be. And I really made a 
bad judgment call in putting their business in front of mine. And I basically looked at it as like, this business is opening. We have to get it done by this time. Oh my gosh, think of all like everything that's writing on this. Think about the press eyes that are going to be on everybody. Think about all the positive notoriety that we're going to, we're going to have from this situation. And all of those things should never have outweighed the wellness and financial position that my business was put in from it. So really, I I blame myself completely for that situation because I put their business and the perception of of it and the requirements that they had above, above my own. And while, of course, clients come first, they're kind of one A, B, and C. And for me, it's our employees, one A, our our business and protecting it, 1B, and our clients, 1C. And maybe that's wrong. I don't know. But it works for us and it works for it works for our clients that are happy with us and our and our process. And it allows us to be completely transparent and it allows us to continue to, to learn from mistakes and, and keep going. So as usual with me, a very long-winded answer. But the moment that I put someone else's business and, and the, the wellness of it ahead of my own is definitely the worst business decision I have ever made. Okay, question number two, and this made me laugh, from Coco7861. The ugly part of staying on budget when you have access to all the things. <laughs> I thought that was so funny. What helps us most with that is... The budget's the budget. So, you know, you can maybe stretch it slightly, but you really need to be steadfast in staying on budget. Because no matter how hard you try to stay on budget, you're going to go over budget pretty much is the reality of the situation. And just because you have access to everything doesn't – or you work with a design. Like, if you work with a designer, you, you, you probably do have access to a lot of really good resources. But if they're out of your budget, it doesn't really matter. It's like it, it doesn't exist. Just, you know, it's kind of the same situation for me with like, would I love a pair of like Chanel shoes? Sure. But I I don't know. I guess I guess I just that's just not in my budget. I don't know. Um, you know, so you you have to bow down to the budget because ultimately you, you got to be comfortable with what you're spending. And I also think that this goes back to, are you realistic and are you on the same page? Is your budget $20,000, but you're okay with 30? Because then your budget's not 20, your budget's 30. Like your budget isn't this like subjective number. <laughs> the budget should be a hard, real number that is like already out of the bank, that is ready to be spent on this project and, and, and no more. And there are some just general budgeting techniques, as I kind of just mentioned, like get the money out of the bank and into some place that you, into a separate account that you're going to use or a credit card that you don't normally use that you're going to pay ahead of time or whatever so that when you actually do go over budget, you have to physically go get more money. That will really help restrain things. But having access to everything and understanding what fits in your budget are two very different things. And I don't think that they they really matter with each other. I also think that you have to really weigh what means more to you. Some people, like, it really means a lot to them that they have marble because their friend has marble. Me, us, we're just not that type of designer. I'm like, is marble, does marble make sense for you? 
do you live in this house? Do you have, are you hard on your surfaces? Do you, you know, are you planning to use this bathroom? Like there, you know, there are just a lot of things that you, you really need to factor. And if after factoring all those things, it still means a lot to you and you have to work within a budget, I would wait until you can have what you want. Because if you're that type of consumer, you probably aren't going to be happy until you have those things. And in that case, you shouldn't contribute any money until you can do it the way you actually want to do it. Does that make sense? I feel like I don't even know if that was a good answer to that question, but that's the first thing that came to mind. Okay, last question, and I promise I'll let you go because I think this might be the longest episode we've ever had. The last question is from Morgan Maloney. Hi, Morgs. I know Morgan. Um, and she asked, what if someone hates the outcome? Question mark. Have you had to reimburse folks? I have never personally had anyone hate the outcome. And I think that part of the reason why that doesn't happen to us, and this is also a question that we get a lot. I think that part of the reason why that doesn't happen to us is because we hold our clients very accountable. And I should, I should go back. Has someone sent back a vase or something or like pillows that they didn't like or, you know, a piece of art? Yes, for sure. I don't consider that like someone hate, like hating the outcome. You know what I mean? I think if someone hates the outcome of the design, you definitely did something wrong and you should 100% hold yourself as their designer in some way accountable. I mean, if they're nuts, like, are, were you looking at what I was sending you? I, I don't know. I just, I feel like that is like crazy with our design process, at least that that would happen. So just a really quick glimpse into how we design. We do a client questionnaire. Then we do a Pinterest board that the client is pinning to. Then we meet with the client. We have a design meeting and we say, okay, this is what you wrote on the questionnaire. This is what you showed us on Pinterest. This is the vision that we see for your house. These are, are the types of things that those three vehicles are telling us. Let's talk about that. Then we go design. We talk about budget, of course, in there too. Then we go design. Then we present the design. Then the client has the opportunity to go through every single piece that we have designed and click through links and understand the material and the construction and the price point and the size and all of those things. Then once they do that, we go and we're measuring for everything. We're making sure it all fits. We're saying, hey, actually, we think that that chair might be a little bit too big now that we've got all the pieces in. Let's you know, go to a smaller chair. Great. Then we're all working toward what we call the final design. So the final design is the opportunity for them to get look everything over one more time, really understand everything. Then they fund the project. Once they fund the project, we start ordering everything. Once we order everything, we install. Once we install, we show them the space. They cry. We kiss babies. We pop champagne. At that point, if you are like surprised by what you're getting, that would be weird because you have had like seven times to look at this your pieces and you've had a lot of experience or you should you should have if you didn't if you just like never read anything that we sent you or never clicked on a link or never understood anything which we ask like hey did you get a chance to look through all this stuff we ask every single time you lied to me when i asked you that like uh, gosh i don't know i mean contractually you own everything that's in your house obviously i don't want a client that hates what we did like that would be awful so the answer to your question, Morgan, no, that has never happened to me. Have we had an accessory or two come back? Yes. There have been a couple projects where like, although the client gave us a budget and we were within that budget, what they found value in where we spent it and what we found value in where we spent it were very different. That was a weird situation. Guy brought a bunch of stuff back to the studio on like a random Saturday. 
very weird. Very, very, very weird. But so that's happened, but no, it's never happened to us. And I think that that is 100% because of our design process and how accountable we hold our clients. There really shouldn't be any real surprises when you're designing someone's home. So, woo! Episode eight, all the bad shit in business. That is it. I love you guys. We, with 6,000 downloads, we have like a hundred and something reviews, but I would love if you guys would take the time to rate and review and send me a DM on Instagram. Tell me if you're liking it. We are really still in that like very fine moment of trying to figure out if we're going to end up doing a, a season two and what that would look like and what those episodes would look like. So we are more than happy to hear from you. And by we, I mean me, because for the most part, I am the one that's receiving all of the feedback. Send me an email, send me a DM. Can't wait to see you guys next time.